Hi, this is Jackie, and you're listening to She Can't, So I Will. I wanted to talk to you guys again about how to recognize when you're in a relationship with a narcissist. Every episode is not going to be about being with a narcissist, but it's going to be more about how do we recover from hardship in life, um, whether it be abuse or death or eating disorders or you know you've been in a car accident and you're no longer walking it it doesn't matter what it is it can be any kind of hardship in life and how do people deal with it and how do they move on what do their struggles look like what do their successes look like and that's what this podcast is about but today I wanted to touch a little bit more on my situation and then I'm in the next couple of episodes, we're going to be interviewing a couple of um, ladies who have struggled as well. To catch you up, I was married to a narcissist for 18 years, and um, I am out of the relationship currently. We have been divorced for about nine years, going on 10. And I wanted to talk a little bit about my success um, since then. Uh, I want you guys to understand that I am recently discovering that I've been sexually abused by um, my ex-husband, and so I'm still dealing with this today in my current uh, situation. But I have been in the fu- er, so far very successful, and here's what I have done. And I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. So I own a gym, and I have been a personal trainer for um, going on ten years. And I have built my dream. I had decided that I wanted to be able to help people in some way. And that's been my drive um, for quite a long time, actually. I started off, uh, I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years, but I was a Girl Scout leader. And I just loved to teach and feel like I had some sort of impact in somebody's life, whether it was you know, the girls in the troop at the time or other mothers, or now it is clients that I personal train. I'm offering them a service to better their life. Um, But at the same time, I end up having a lot of trainings that are just people talking about their problems. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been the first to know a lot of things going on in somebody's life before they've told people um, who they're close to, their family members. So here's, here's what I've learned in life, because you know, I know it all, I'm 44, <laughs> um, but he, here's what's gotten me through the hardship, you know, going through a divorce and struggling with kids, going back and forth, and, and then now learning that I was abused, and then just the struggles of building a business from the ground up. And then the struggles of keeping it open. Uh, I live in a small community and being a small business owner is, it's rough. It's very rough. It's very stressful. I do all, I wear all the hats in the business. I take care of everything. And then I've raised my three kids as well. And they're all almost grown. I've got one in the home still. Um, But here's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, One, um, the mind is a very, very powerful thing, which I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, But here's what, here's how I've seen it happen. I apply it to the fitness industry and I watch people work out daily, like 
I spend 14 hours in this gym and I watch people work out and do the same workout all day long. And you can actually watch people who have a positive mindset and then watch people who have a negative mindset. And there's an extreme difference between the way they perform. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But negativity takes a enormous toll on our body. We are what we think. What we think is what we will become. I have had somebody in the past walk in my door and from the moment this person walked in the door, it's almost as if negativity, and it was usually self-abuse, was just flying from this this person. If I uh, wanted you to picture this person as a cartoon character, you can imagine just negative words just flinging off of their body, almost like they were, you know, throwing their arms around. It was just like negativity, negativity, negativity. And that mindset not only is going to affect that person and how they perform in uh, that night, but it also affects people around you. And that's one of the things I always tell people when they're started out training and they're ready to change their lives. I say, you know, you don't want you to take a look around the people that you're hanging out with. And let's say you have four core friends in your life and one of them is taking a lot out of you. You know, sucking a lot of energy out of your day with a lot of negativity. And no matter how much you've tried to help them, it just continues. Negative, negative, negative. There comes a time when you're wanting to move forward and you have goals you want to reach that you might have to stop giving so much to that person. It doesn't mean that you have to cut them out of your life. It just means that you may have to wean them off of your time spent, whether it's phone calls or weekend hanging out or whatever it is. If you're trying to move forward, you may have to eliminate that person to a certain extent. And that may mean if that person is your mom, your sister, your aunt, your brother, whatever, whoever that person is, it doesn't mean you don't love them anymore. It doesn't mean you're not cordial. It doesn't mean you don't hang out. It just means that you may not share every aspect of your life with them. And you may just have to cut some time away from them so that you can continue to move forward and reach your goals. But all of these things stem back to what is your mindset? And not only that, what is the mindset of the people around you? So the mind is a powerful thing. I've always told my kids that in any situation that you're in, try to find the good in it. Because there just has to be good in every situation. And if you could find that and focus your thoughts on it, then I really, really, truly believe that good things will come from it. You can pull the good energy from that thought and just go with it and just try hard to forget the negative. And here's something that I'm sure is not a surprise to a lot of people, but I have to say it. You can change your life by eating healthier and exercising. It's a proven fact. You can. And Eating healthy and exercising can look different and should look different for everybody. 
eating healthy for somebody who's starting out, who is on a couch, maybe take pop out. And maybe that's your first goal. Maybe it's cut your portions back. And that's your first goal. Maybe your first goal is, I don't eat enough vegetables. I'm going to increase vegetables. You just pick one thing. And for exercise, maybe that is, hey, I'm going to walk three times a day. Or (laughs) three times a day. That's a little excessive. Unless it was 10 minutes each time, that's not too bad. But I intended to say three times a week. So my point here is, if you exercise and if you eat healthy, you can change your life. And it doesn't matter how much. How much am I exercising? How much am I changing my diet? I'm just telling you, start. Start with one tiny goal and change that and be successful at it and then change the next thing. Let's say you decide to do it for two weeks and you were successful at it. Then the third week, pick something else and add that to it too. And before you know it, you're probably doing more than you ever thought you would. And you're probably feeling amazing even if it's tiny little steps. And here's something else that we can relate back to about the mind game. If you have a calendar, a physical calendar, meaning paper on the wall or on your fridge or at your desk or whatever, and if you put an X on every time that you successfully reached your goal, whatever it is, I don't even care. When you start to connect those Xs, I had a friend that once put stickers on the day that she was successful. And once you start to, you know, be able to see that streak of marks of days that you were successful, you're not going to want to break that streak. And, And even if you have a setback and you don't reach those goals every day consecutively, keep trying. Nobody ever was successful at reaching goals of any way, shape, or form, whether it was business, uh, personal, relationship, physical, eating, whatever it is, no, nobody was successful consecutively starting out day one, week one, month one. Because without struggles, it's just not worth it. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But try it. Try to set the tiniest goal for yourself. And when you reach it, mark the calendar. And then the next day, mark that calendar again. And share your success for with somebody if you choose to. Hopefully that positive person that you decided to keep in your life. But even if you don't want to share it with anybody, just celebrate the shit out of that with yourself. And move on. And add more goals. And then here's another. Be okay with being a beginner. Everybody has a starting point. One thing that I have heard over the years of people who don't want to come in and work out, either with a personal trainer or in a class, is they're like, I don't want to look like the person who doesn't know what they're doing. Or I don't want to look weak. Everybody is stronger than I am. Like, believe me, after 10 years of teaching classes and personal training, I've heard it all. I assure you I have heard it all. And there is not one excuse that I could not 
I guess, um, push away or say, yeah, but you know, you, we can do this. It's okay to be a beginner. It's okay to fail. It's okay to feel weak. But the moment you decide to do something, you're already better than you were yesterday. You're already doing more than you were yesterday. Why can't you recognize that as a success? Don't compare yourself to what you could do as a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old for you 60-year-olds out there that are just getting ready to start getting physical and exercise. Don't compare yourself to who you were. Compare yourself to where you were just yesterday to where you are now. Be a beginner. It's okay. And you know what? Drink water. People, can I not stress to you enough? Drink water. The reason I'm saying all these things to you because these are the things that I have learned over the years to get me through. To help me feel good. Drink water. Measure it. Half your body weight. If you weigh 100 pounds, you're going to drink half your body weight. So 50 ounces in water. And you have to drink more if you sweat. But start. Just start by doing, taking the place of one pop out of water. Baby steps, people. That's all I'm saying. Baby steps. Measure your water intake. What are you drinking? Make it exciting. Get yourself a new water bottle. I am, I am ridiculous when it comes to drinking water. I, I have tons of water bottles at my house because I get bored. I'm a creative person. So I get super bored with one water bottle. And if I drink out of the same one for about a week and then I have to change it. And I have water bottles with stickers on them and I have water bottles that are just plain and I have some that I like to drink out of at certain times because the spouts are different. I mean, ridiculous, I'm telling you, but it works. It works. 11 years ago, I never drank water. I like tea. I like coffee and I liked a little bit of alcohol at night because I was married at the time and incredibly unhappy. So what can you say? But I figured it out. I replaced one tea, one glass of tea or whatever with water uh, every day for a week. And then I increased it the second week to two. And honestly, yes, you pee a lot. And maybe you have a job that you can't do that, which I think is dumb, by the way. I have heard so many women and men come in here and tell me, well, my job doesn't allow me to drink because I can't carry my water around with me. Like, why is, why is our jobs forces like that right now? Why wouldn't we want, I mean, we fight and fight and fight and give all these incentives about um, having better health coverage because people, um, we have like uh, weight loss competitions at work and things like that, but we can't carry our water around with us and drink, which is something that's vitally important for our health. Anyhow, that's another, another rampage. Um, but anyways, drink your water. How much are you drinking? Figure it out. I guarantee you're going to feel better. These are all things that are going to help you deal with stress. That's why I'm talking to you about this. Um, don't compare yourself to somebody else, which we talked about a little bit about you comparing yourself to who you were as a younger person, but you know what? With Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, we get a glimpse into other people's lives that we didn't used to get. 
So when I was raising my kids, I didn't have, we didn't have Facebook. I think, um, gosh, I think my youngest was like five, six when Facebook came out and then hardly anybody had it. Um, so the biggest portion of me raising my children, I didn't have Facebook, didn't really have the internet. I got my first phone when I was like 33, I think. I don't even know. Sounds crazy to some of you young moms out there, I know. But I didn't have instant access to what Sally Joe Fancy Pants down the road was doing with her kids during the day. You know, she decided that she would post, like now, what you guys see is Sally Pants down the road is doing this amazing craft with her preschooler. And what have you done all day with your kid, right? That's what you do to yourself. You compare yourself because you have this instant information. And we have these fake lives on Facebook. And some people are genuine and some people do use it for the right things. But the biggest portion of people on Facebook are trying to portray their life to be better than what it is. And it's actually pretty daggone good life in most cases, but they feel like they have to post on Facebook that it's, uh, you know, by far more amazing and glorious than what it is. And we fall victim to this fake portrayal of what our peers are doing, you know, what other mothers are doing, or what other grandmothers are doing with their kids, or other teachers, or or whatever your profession is, and you compare yourself to what somebody else is out there doing, and it's, I'm going to say in the most cases, and you can't disagree with me, that a lot of it is fake. So, in the words of my mom, don't give a fine fuck about what somebody else is doing. Are you proud of who you are and what you did and what you're doing? That's all that matters. You're the one who has to look at yourself in the mirror at night. You've put your kids to bed. You've made dinner. You've cleaned it up. You've showered. You've ended your day. You go in the bathroom. You're brushing your teeth. And you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, Am I okay with the way I behaved today? Am I okay with the things that I have achieved today? And don't let that fleeting moment or that voice in the back of your head be like, Yeah, but Sally Mae, fancy pants. No, no, she, I don't care what she did. I don't care. I don't give a flying fuck what Sally Mae Fancy Pants did. I want you to look in the mirror and be like, are you happy with you? Did you do all you could do today? Hopefully that answer is yes. But if it isn't, you try harder tomorrow. That's all. If you don't feel satisfied with your day for yourself, I bet you can at least find one thing that you are proud of. Focus on that. Go to bed. And get up the next morning and attack your day. People, find out what sets you on fire and go after it. I don't care if it's something different every day. If you're excited about it, attack it and do it good. And look at yourself in the mirror at night when you're getting ready to go to bed and be like, fuck yeah. I did that and I was amazing at it. 
Yeah, I might have sucked at something else, but I don't care. Let me give you a few um, things that might help you release endorphins. So I believe that uh, chemically, uh, genetically, we're all made differently. I haven't done a whole lot of research on this, but I truly believe that genetically we should all be eating a certain way according to our blood type. Um, And I think that there's a lot more to do with nutrition and endorphins and things like that that we've barely touched on. So I don't believe that there's a one, because there's diets out there, guys, you know, you've tried them. There's not one diet out there that works for everybody. It's just not like that. We're all entirely too different. What works for Sally Mae ain't going to work for you, possibly. It might, but it's not likely. So why are you trying the same diet and it didn't work for you? And then you fail and then you feel crappy about yourself and then you give up. Don't, because it's not a one size fits all at all. I don't have the answers for you as to what that looks like, but I can tell you that you could try a lot of different things and figure out what works for you and do that. And we don't have to have some stupid name on it. I don't care what your diet's called. If it's working for you, do it. I always don't even like to call it a diet anyways. I like to say, I'm eating per my goals. How do you eat? Oh, I eat according to my goals. Well, what's that? Um, I'm very, very active. I work out a lot. So I'm going to have to eat a lot. I'm going to have to eat a lot of carbs, protein. So you eat carbs? Yes, lots. Because I'm very, very active. That's what I have to do in order to perform and do the things that I love to do. That's for me. It's not for everybody. Here's some things that can help you release endorphins. This is for those of you out there that feel low. You feel like we all have low days. I know I do, and I've had a lot of them lately. And so here's a few things that help. Don't go crazy on these first two things I'm about to tell you. Moderation. Chocolate releases endorphins that help you feel happy, have positive energy. Your favorite food. Guys, my favorite food, two things I love. Ice cream and apple fritters. Donuts in general, but apple fritters, okay? I don't even like chocolate, so that's not that's not for me. But if I go crazy every time I get sad and I eat ice cream, I wouldn't be able to reach my goals. I wouldn't be able to do the things that I love doing. So I'm just telling you moderation. But is it make your soul happy? Do you ever eat your favorite food and be like, oh, I feel so happy. Well, that's the endorphins because it's exciting to you. You love it. That's not a fake feeling. Like that's genetically proven in your brain. That's how it works. Laugh. For real, LOL. Laugh until your stomach cramps. And if you are with people who don't want to laugh, get rid of them. Start hanging out with people who want to laugh. Sex. Sex releases happy endorphins. Not for me right now. I'm having trouble with that aspect in my life. As if you've listened to my other podcasts, you already know that. Music. Music. 
I listen to music all the time. I have entirely too many playlists on Spotify. But I love music. It gives a voice to my feelings sometimes. Group activities. I don't even care what kind. Do you like to cycle? You like to play cards? You like to shop together? You like to craft together? You like to work out together? I don't even care what it is, but group activities have proven to release endorphins that make you feel better. Again, make sure the group you choose to hang out with are not negative because then they're going to bring your group activity down and then the whole thing can just be scratched. Spicy food. I love me some spicy food, especially jalapenos. I think I could put it on everything, even in my alcohol drinks, which again is another thing that releases happy endorphins that you need to do in moderation, and that's alcohol. Moderation, people. I'm not encouraging you to drink. No. I'm just saying, if you're feeling super, super low, it wouldn't surprise me if you had a glass of wine, small, that it might make you feel a little better. In moderation, not all the time, not every night, just on the occasion. Maybe with your group activities. Maybe with some spicy food. Maybe you'll have lots of laughs. And maybe you'll have a small piece of chocolate afterwards. Sounds good to me. Lavender. Lavender has been proven to release endorphins. Don't just put it on your pillow at night. Put it everywhere. And then... Something I've never done, but I heard it releases happy endorphins, is acupuncture. Apparently, uh, being poked um, and causing pain makes the brain release them to go to the area. I don't know how it all works. I'm not going to pretend to, but all I know is they say it works. So I have a tinge unit, and I'm wondering now, because when I have really sore muscles, I put it on there, and that's kind of painful, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm releasing happy endorphins when I use my tinge unit. I don't know. It sounds good to me. So there's some tips on how to feel better and get through your day. I really appreciate you guys listening. I hope that you continue to um, stay tuned in to this podcast. Uh, I had, Like I said earlier in the episode, I have two ladies that I'm planning to interview and release those episodes really, really soon. Uh, and I think that we can all learn something from them because they're just like us. They're just going through uh, an, a, some other form of trauma or a disorder, something they struggle with. And I think that we can all learn from each other. If you would like to share your story, a struggle that you've gone through or going through, contact me. I'd love to interview you so that somebody out there can learn from you too. Don't be scared. I was scared for a long time about sharing this. I'm still scared today about all that I have shared about my life. But it's worth it. If I can reach out and save one person from being sexually abused, It's fucking worth it, guys. It's worth it. Share your story with me. Email me. J-A-K-A-E-F, as in Francis, at gmail.com. Email me. Share your story with me. Maybe we can get an interview and share your story and see if we can't help somebody too. 
Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Jackie, and you're listening to She Can't So I Will. And today I have a lady with me who's going to talk to me about uh, what it's like to be married to a narcissist. Um, Her and I have discovered we have very similar situations in the relationships that we were in. And so she's going to share that with us. So this is Grace, and she's going to tell us just a little bit about herself before we get started. Hi, I'm Grace. Um, I uh, wanted to come and talk um, because I, like she said, I have a really similar story. Um, And I have also spoken to other people with similar stories and something that I really enjoy talking to people about is the similarities and the patterns that people have um, when they are manipulating you. And I really like to tell people how to recognize um, when it's starting so that they can help themselves get out of that situation as soon as possible. Right, which is why um, I wanted to start this podcast in the first place is so that, one, if you're in a relationship like this, you can recognize it earlier maybe than what we did and get out of it. Or two, if you're having any other kind of trauma in your life, how did you get out of it? Um, How are Grace and I surviving this? Um, And how do we move on and get better and stronger women? That's the the whole point. And men, because men are victims of maybe being married to narcissistic women too and being abused so um grace is going to go over a little bit on how to recognize that when you're in a relationship well how long were you married we were only married for six months officially Um, but how long were you in the relationship we were in the relationship for about seven years um it was very on again off again because I was trying to get out, but it was so hard. It's so hard to recognize what's going on when somebody is manipulating you like that because he was so good at making it seem like it was my fault. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I need to fix myself and I'll come back and I'll be better and I'll do better and then it'll be fine and we'll go on and we can finally start our lives, quote unquote, (laughs) which is so silly to look back on because none of it was real. None of it was actually that way (laughs) right every argument that I had in the relationship I was in we would sit for an hour possibly and have a conversation about the situation and in the end I would be the one who would ultimately be saying sorry and that it was my fault and that's that was how it ended but the weird part is is he was so brilliant at it that you would actually walk away thinking that you were getting your way yes a lot of times, which is weird. Like, how do they do that? Yes, looking back and telling my story feels ridiculous to say out loud. It feels so silly to tell somebody that he would he would hit me and then somehow convince me to apologize. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know how. I don't know how to explain it. But yeah, we they, laugh. But yes. yet it's like that's that's crazy. It's absurd. It's mind blowing to me. Yes. And then did it not make you feel? very very weak yes like when you look back at it do you think oh my god I was so weak what was wrong with me yes and it is infuriating to look back and I wish I could just shake myself (laughs) like no what are you doing (laughs) but that's part of why 
I wanted to talk about it is because I want to shake other people. I want to say, wake up, please. (laughs) My counselor had me, um, she put a a stuffed animal in the chair, just like you're sitting across from me right now. Um, And she said, I want you to pretend like that's the, the Jackie that was in that relationship. And I want you to talk to her and tell her how you feel now and tell her that it's okay. It's not your fault. And that was like very, very, very powerful for me. Yes. But that was similar to you saying, you know, I want to, I want to talk to myself when I was there. Like when I was that Jackie, I want to talk to myself, but you, obviously you can't. So, yeah. Um, but something that, uh, abusers often start out doing, um, is that it starts out fine, like a normal relationship, which is terrifying <laughs> because you don't know until often it's too late. Um, but you go into it and things are fun and exciting and it's a new relationship and everybody's happy. But um, there's this thing that I've read that I think a lot of people have read about like if you put a frog in water and slowly turn up the heat, yes, it won't hop out. And when it finally realizes that it's in danger, it's too late, it's used all, all of its energy adjusting to the temperature that it can't get itself out. Oh my goodness. And I think yeah. of that a lot because that's exactly what being in that situation is like. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, suddenly you wake up and you're like, no, this is wrong, but how do you leave? How do you get out? Yes, <laughs> yes. I remember being very uncomfortable and knowing that I didn't like the way I felt, but not, um, not feeling strong enough to leave. Yes. And then everything, of course, being justified. Yeah. All the actions are justified and excused away with some sort of knowledge that they come up with. Oh, yes. They they always sound so wise. <laughs> they always sound like, you know, oh, well, sometimes they'll come up with their own, you know, story about how they were abused and they're the victim and they're the ones that are hurting and you're just not doing the right thing because you're not, you're not helping them heal <laughs> or... Yeah whatever (laughs) and so then they they will play the victim and that's frustrating because it makes again makes you feel Feel like bad yeah makes you feel like you have to apologize right so what kind of uh situation were you in at the time like what was your age for example when we first got together um i was only 15 Mm -hmm. which i was young and naive but on top of that um my sister's dad that we lived with growing up was abusive to me and not nearly as bad just a little physically abusive and very emotionally abusive and so I was already very vulnerable and looking for an out Mm -hmm. and when he came along you know and it was a new relationship and it was somewhere for me to be that was not in the house yeah and so I was always excited to be out and then you know being 15 16 (laughs) um he would always you know oh someday we're gonna run away together and someday 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 (laughs) and um when I finally left I left when the day I turned 18 like that night at midnight I left (laughs) and I remember telling him you know well what if I don't want to leave my mom because my mom was planning on um moving out and finding her own place at that same time that I was turning 18 And she was like, you know, just, I know you're about to turn 18. And she knew that I struggled. And she was like, just stick around and we're going to, you know, move on from this. But he said, if you don't come now, then I'm never speaking to you again. Which was scary to me because he was kind of my safe point at that time. 
you know, he was my escape from the abuse at home. Right. So I didn't want to lose that, so mm-hmm. I, I left. And that was sort of like my first um, go-to thought when I would look back and think, that was a red flag. I should not have done that. But I did. I was, I was 18, and I was also pregnant at the time um, with our first child, so I just ran off because he knew best <laughs> and so when you say ran off did he did you guys move away yeah um we I moved to Huntington um uh, which was just a town away and uh we had our own place and everything and it was so scary because once we were living together alone that's when things really started to escalate and I really started to feel more miserable than I ever had and I just couldn't figure out why. I kept thinking, oh, well, it'll get better once I have the baby because he would make fun of me for getting fat because I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, once once I have the baby, it'll be fine. Or once we're financially stable, it'll be fine. Or once once this, once that, once yeah. whatever he decided was the problem. Mm-hmm. would, And it was always me. <laughs> Could, would, um, so I remember, like, my spouse being, um, even uncomfortable in what he was doing and so that would have been the reason that he behaved the way he did at home <clears throat> so basically i'm not comfortable in my job so i'm going to come home miserable and you're going to have to have sex with me in order to keep my spirits up in order to make me up my stress level drop that was something that i struggled with a lot is that we ended up just I, I ended up just having sex with him in order to appease him so that he would be nice to me. Yes. Yeah. I found that that was just a tool to get him to be kind for a day or two. Mm-hmm. And That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. And at the time, I didn't realize that there was anything wrong with it. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that's I was doing that to achieve him being nice. But that's all it was. I... He was always angry, and if I did what he wanted, then everything was fine (laughs) for a minute Mm -hmm. (laughs) until he got mad about something else, which a lot of his abuse had to do with um, my appearance because he struggled with his appearance. And so he would kind of project that onto me. So he would say, you know, oh, well, I didn't know that being pregnant would make you fat. And then he would not eat for three days. (laughs) And then he would be horribly extra awful because he was starving himself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So then I would feel pressured to, you know, have sex with him all the time just to make him be nice. Mm -hmm. So for me, the appearance thing and like suggesting how I should look was a little different than your experience. And me, um, in his words... I think a girl next door look is more attractive. Um, I took that as more simple. I I mean, all of our girl next next doors are different. (laughs) All of our neighbors are different. But if we took the movie mentality of the girl next door, it was simple, plain, um, a dress. It was my image, long hair, um, just a very simpleton. Okay, Mm -hmm. anybody who knows me today with my tattoos and my dreads knows that that was definitely not me. Right. But I did it. I tried to stay as simple as I possibly could because that's what he found attractive. 
He just yes. didn't accept me for who I was. Right. And before before he started just name calling and being extra mean, it started out in when we were in high school um, with little things like, well, I don't really like those type of colorful pants or that type of lipstick or that type of hairstyle. And he would kind of just gently pressure me to change the way I dressed. Like, I didn't like plain jeans and plain t-shirts. Like, I don't like that kind of stuff. I like to wear wild things. But he would always, oh, I don't like that on you. That looks terrible. I don't like when anybody wears that. They always look mm-hmm. ugly. Yeah. And he wouldn't directly call me ugly, but he would... It would certainly made you feel ugly if you didn't follow that guideline. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would, you know, dress down, I guess, <laughs> just the t-shirt and jeans type of look that he wanted all the time to please him and it's just yeah I didn't recognize that as a red flag at first well going back to your like frog theory which I have heard that before but never placed it into this situation and I think it's just fantastic now because as I've told the audience uh before I struggled really really hard with talking about it at first because I I didn't um think I'd be believed Mm -hmm. and then it's very very hard to explain to people um how do you not know and how do you not know because we've been divorced for almost 10 years so how is it just coming out now well that's why because it happens so little and you're you get so manipulated into thinking there wasn't anything uh, abnormal everything that was going on was completely normal and then the therapist will tell you that anything that doesn't feel like you're strong enough to deal with at that time the brain will literally block that memory for you and then when you are strong enough to deal with it it comes out but when we both talk about the fact that things start small I'm still to this day trying to discover where where did it start what are those tiny little things that were happening and I'm still trying to discover those do you remember anything that was like tiny that you can remember just that was like okay I remember that It's some things other people have told me because I'm so close with my family and my friends that I'm really lucky that they were around, hovering around the whole time. So they saw a lot of stuff that I didn't see that they tell me about. My mom often brings up the time in high school when he told me he doesn't like when girls wear makeup. I shouldn't wear makeup because he doesn't like it. And she said, you know, I never wore a lot of makeup anyway. I, but... The fact that he said that and then all of a sudden I completely stopped. And she was like, I saw that and I knew that that was wrong. Yeah, and it's so minor. If you think back on it, it's such a minor thing, but it is. It's just conditioning you for the next thing he's going to deliver. Right. Whatever it is. My situation ultimately ended in sexual abuse. Um, To the, you know, I've talked on here openly that I was uh, awoken at least three times a week in the middle of the night to being penetrated in some way uh, without consent. Uh, what was the, what do you think that your climax was? I called it the climax because that was the draw the line. I have dealt with this, but this didn't happen until I'm get, I'm trying to guess that it was almost eight, somewhere between eight and 10 years in before that type started. There was always a, a lack of um, like intimacy where it was just yeah. like a task at hand that needed to be completed. Yeah. But the non-consent was not till like eight or 10 years in. So that's a lot of years of baby stepping 
yes. to get to there. And it does it does take so long, which I think that because I was in such a vulnerable position, mine kind of escalated a lot more quickly. But um, my like he would um, kind of not take my small hints early on like even when we were teenagers he was the first person that I was ever with like that so I didn't really know what how it went (laughs) so when you know I would just kind of gently like hint that I didn't want it and he would do it anyway I didn't realize that that there was anything wrong with it and we would even joke about it afterwards. I would say, well, you know, I kind of didn't really want to do that. And he would laugh. Laugh, yes. <laughs> and I and I would laugh it off too. I'm like, oh, well, you know, next time, you know, just I'll just say it louder. I'll say no louder. Or, I'll... <laughs> or give you a different sign, yeah. which is something I had talked about in the past that I, I had to ask myself, did I say no? And I'm like, dumbass. You don't have to say no. There are a lot of different... You don't have to say the words N-O is my point. There are a lot of things that mean no. And Did I say yes in my sleep? (laughs) No. Right. And it's crazy to me to think about if there was any resistance at all why you would want to do that. That's just control. It's not about sex or pleasure it, no it's, it's about not about control. intimacy it's not about making a connection with somebody no it is complete control yes and it's just horrifying to look back on that and see how many times things like that happened where you know i would be asleep or i would just give those small signs that i didn't want to and he would still do it and i would just laugh it off and then it grew to eventually, I don't know exactly when the first time that he really, really, really hurt me that way, but I know there was one time afterwards I was lying there and I was thinking, this is real. He really actually raped me. I really said no and I cried and I begged and I hit and I scratched and I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. And then it is in that would be the climax that you think we were looking for that you were just like this is where I draw the line yes or and I I have I know the answer to this question but he tried to justify even that right he did he he definitely did he told me multiple times well if you hadn't made me mad I wouldn't have done that well if you had just done this for me I wouldn't have done that and even even during like while he was attacking me he would say that like just relax and it'll be over just stop it'll be over just just lay there and there were times where i just did i just i just laid there because my daughter would be asleep in the next room and i didn't want her to walk in Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i would just be like well i don't want her to find me like this so just do whatever you're gonna do and let me go to sleep please hard to talk about it. <laughs> it is it is especially when you've moved on but it's so important because I believe that there are women out there that think because they're married and in a relationship that they're supposed to yes that I'm just supposed to do this I had people in my family tell me I had people that read the bible scriptures to me and said you're supposed to be submissive I'm like uh and now I'm like, no, just because you're married does not mean that you owe somebody your body. Right. Like, absolutely not. 
Right. And that's also something, too. He was very controlling um, financially, and so he would use that as an excuse that I, I owed him sex because because he paid rent, so yeah. I should have sex with him. Right. And he he paid the water bill, so I, I have to have sex with him. And it's just, I thought that that was fine and that I did owe him because, oh, he's taking care of me, so I need to take care of him. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I mean, everybody knows that's not what sex is about. No, it isn't. <laughs> In fact, I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years, and so I, too, felt like, it was my duty. What else am I doing? Right. You know? <laughs> and that's that's what he would say sometimes. What else are you doing? Mm-hmm. What have you done all day? Yes. They play that card. Like, as soon as you walk... they You start to belittle you as soon as they walk in the door. But it's it's almost... You feel it. But when you replay what they say, it's almost non-recognizable. Yes. The, the way they degrade you. Yes. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're... It, he was so smart with his words that he would say it but not say it. Uh, so here, I I left and was gone out of the relationship for a few months and then went back because I've been told that they don't give up control mm-hmm. ever. Right. Um, I guess unless there's some sort of final line where they're just like, okay, they're totally not going to come back to me. And then they just move on to somebody else. Yes. Which is sad. Um, but... He tried to get me back, and I ended up going back. But when I, and I want to ask you about, you know, because I know he didn't give up when you left, so I want to hear about that. But first, he admitted to me when I went back, in his words, I gave you a little bit of positive feedback about your talents, because he used to tell me. He told me more than anybody else that I was the most talented person he'd ever met in his life. That's what his words were to me. He goes, I would give you a little and then take it back. Yes. And reel it back in because I didn't want you to feel so confident that you would leave me. Those are his words. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly, exactly how it is. And that's, you know, that's my ex. He would, he would compliment me exactly the way that he knew I wanted to be complimented and then break me down in another way that I was already very insecure about. And, you know, he would build a little and only he saw me, you know, good in this way. And it, it was only him. And he, he's like, only I see how great you are at singing or whatever. But you look horrible. You're so ugly. Mm. I don't know why. Imagine what you could do if you look like this mm. kind of thing. Yes. It was like, I want you to be over here being great. But you're doing this little thing that's not getting you there. And they point it out. Right. Right. So it's it's like their leash. They yeah. keep you on this leash. Like, they want you to feel good enough to continue to be with them. But they want you to be insecure enough to stay. To stay. Yes. To not think that you're better and can find better. Right. So what kind of things did he do when you left? Oh, my gosh. He would call me all the time and text me all the time. And any anything that I did with my friends or family, when... When he and I would split up, his he would lose his friends because his friends were also my friends and they would see what was going on and they would stop being friends with him and he would tell me that I'm brainwashing people <laughs> and that I need to stop spreading lies about him and he would 
there was actually one time he um, he broke into my house, uh, which I wasn't in the house at the time, but my sister was. And uh, she called me at three in the morning and she said, were you expecting anybody over tonight? It was the middle of the night. I was working an overnight shift. And I said, no, why? And she said, somebody was just in here. She was like, and I think it, it was your ex. I couldn't see because it was dark, but he just laid in bed with me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he ran out the door and we reported it to the police, but there was no proof. So it didn't what happen. What are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Um, but he was just very, very pushy about just, just talk to me. Just come over and talk to me. Yeah. Just sit down and talk. You know, we can hash this out. We don't have, just, just talk to me for a yes. minute. Come have dinner. Yes, and I heard those same things. And he would always call me when he knew that I wasn't around anybody else mm-hmm. when I was alone. Um, and it would be conversations that you just couldn't get off. You just could not get off the phone with. And that may seem great. Well, just hang up. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Right. You can't get off the phone. But ultimately, the whole divorce was my fault because I was unlovable and I needed to seek help. So that my kids could have their happily ever after was exactly the words that were said. So that is almost exactly really? almost exactly what he told me too. It's so ridiculous how similar a lot of these people are. Mm-hmm. Where do they come from? I don't know. Like how do how do that's a question that we will have to research. Like how do how do we not raise a narcissist? Yes. As mothers, like how? Yes, and that's something I think just communication is how you do that you feel comfortable talking to your um your friends and family and your kids about right and wrong about we do not tell people how they should be we don't tell people (laughs) what to do with their lives if you love someone you love someone for who they are you don't love them for who you want them to be right And that's something, you know, my two kids, my son especially, because I know that boys are so prone in our society to um, belittle women. Um, I especially, and because of their father, I always, you know, push him toward being kind. I, he is already such a kind child and I reward that so much more than I do (laughs) with my daughter just because girls, oh, she's such a sweetheart. And boys, they're always, oh, don't cry, be tough. And so I'm like, no, you know, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Please feel your feelings the right way. Yeah. (laughs) Because I think that's part of it too, is, you know, telling little boys to bottle up their feelings and it comes out in aggression. And that can often, you know, build into an abusive person. Mm -hmm. Not always, but. One of the things that I would um, make sure that my boys knew was, I guess, try to build their confidence mm-hmm. and allow them to be okay with making mistakes as well. Yes. Like, if they're confident, then they don't need to belittle and control somebody. So, um, I think that it, when raising boys, or and I, I'm not, I don't want to stereotype. I right. try not to stereotype because I know there are guys out there that are in a relationship with a woman who's a narcissist. I know it. Oh, yes. Um... But typically, I guess if there was a percentage, which I bet we could find online, <laughs> um, it's probably higher that it's men. Right. But I think it's 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 a confidence thing. 
they're not confident with themselves, they're not happy with themselves, and so they must control something. And you know what, you had mentioned that to me that you wondered if it wasn't people who also have been abused. I, in my case, that's not the case that, I mean, I don't think so. My, in my case, I could see it more being where they just weren't happy and nothing was ever enough. Mm -hmm. He was very, very caught up in what everyone else thought of him. Yeah, and that's how my ex, he was not abused at all growing up, but he was just not, he was so worried about what everybody was thinking of him and what everyone was doing or not doing for him because of what he thought he should get from everyone. Which, there's that's a confidence thing. So at some point in time when they were being brought up, they weren't, maybe weren't accepted mm-hmm. as they are. Maybe they were pushed. I, you know, they could say that that's a form of abuse, but I think it's just a mistake that parents make sometimes where... Right. That, I guess bring your kids up to, to know that they're accepted no matter what. Right. Yeah. And that's that's part of, you know, accepting the feminine qualities in my son as well. Just, you know, he's only four, so he likes glitter and tutus and whatever. And I want him to know that no matter what he wants in life, I will always love him and accept him. Right. And... I want him to know that he has a safe space somewhere because I know that it's not safe with his dad. <laughs> right. Um, and your kids still see their dad? They do. Um, it has been rocky, <laughs> but uh, right now they see him every other weekend. They were on supervised visits. Um, there was a while where he was not allowed to see them. He has been in and out of jail for abuse to other women because he just continued the cycle with somebody new over and over again. And uh, he still doesn't understand. (laughs) He still is baffled as to why he keeps going to jail and why his life keeps going wrong. Well, I'll tell you, in his defense, all the research that I have done um, says that they're not curable. Right. Which is sad. It is. It's very sad. So I can't imagine... You know, the extent and the level is completely different because obviously my ex has not been in jail. He's a, a very functioning person in society. Like, um, he's very charming. Mm-hmm. Very, very charming. Oh, they are. They, I think yeah. they all are. And it's wild because people from the outside would have no idea. No. They have no, 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 no. idea. Yeah. I, I, was, I was just, when I left, I was like, you're crazy. Like, I don't get it. Like, he's such a catch. Like... I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I didn't even know the extent of it then, but I just knew that I wasn't happy. Right. And that's kind of what I woke up one day. There was one day where I finally left the day that I left for good. That morning I woke up and I realized this is forever. This is who he is. This isn't, oh, if I fix it, it'll get better. No, like this is it. You go and if you want to change your life, you have to do it. You have to move, and he is the thing that is keeping you stuck. And that day was such a hard day. He literally, like, stuck to my leg and begged me not to leave. And, of course, now he's, he tells people he kicked me out. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it's so crazy that I woke up and it's like somebody smacked me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. And then I went back. Then I got smacked again. I was like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. at some point. Um, so to finish up, 
this is um, an opposite of the situation that you and I had. Mm-hmm. But I want to open the door to invite someone to contact me if this is the situation they're in. So in the research that I have done, I have found that there's an opposite end of the spectrum of a narcissist, and that's called a people pleasers. Mm-hmm. And from what I have researched, a people pleaser does nearly the exact same thing, but in a black and white manner compared to a narcissist. Meaning they're still controlling, they're still manipulating, but they do it in a different way. They do it in guilt trips, um, they're overly nice, and they expect it back. So basically they're give, 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 giving, saying all the nice, kind things all the time and suffocating you with so much kindness. But it's all delivered in an expectation type of of delivery. Right, well I've done all of this for you, so why aren't you giving back? Yes. All of the same things. Yeah. So there's not abuse. There's not physical abuse. There's not sexual abuse. But it's still that mental and emotional side. Right. And so I would be interested in sitting across from somebody and listening to somebody who says, Hey, I've been in a relationship with a people pleaser and here's how it affected my life. And here's, you know, why I got out of that relationship. Right. So that would be... That would be interesting to see that other side of the spectrum. Yes. You know, I think that people pleasers also are uh, not recognized as often. Mm-hmm. Narcissists not. aren't recognized as often enough, and I think people pleasers are even less. Right, because they're so nice. They're, they're so, so kind. kind. <laughs> well, a narcissist is super charming, but this person is a giver. And they're like, oh, they're, they're just, their love language is just gift giving. I'm like, eh, there's a difference. Right. If it's a love language, you don't expect anything in return. Right. That's that's what love is. You don't expect right. anything from love. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, thanks, Grace, for coming. And I hope that we can um, save somebody. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. You got out much quicker than I did. And I hope that there's somebody out there that hasn't been in a relationship for very long. Maybe, hopefully not even married. And we can be, they can be like just questioning things. Because once you like plant the seed, then they start to they start to see things for themselves. So even if you're a family member and you think that somebody out there is in this relationship, that's a daughter or a friend, even um, start start taking notes when you're with them. Mm-hmm. Write notes in your phone, and so when the opportunity presents itself, you can just gently and kindly. And sometimes they don't accept it, yeah. but you can just say, "Hey, these things happened." on this date and I'm starting to become uncomfortable with the way you're being treated and and even if they get ticked off at you and they don't speak to you again you planted the seed right so they're gonna start to notice yeah and eventually and they have to see it for themselves but it is those little seeds that kind of help them realize over time no matter how angry they are at first right (laughs) okay my email address, if you want to contact me to be interviewed on this podcast, is Jackie F, as in Frank, at gmail.com. Um, just give me a, shoot me an email, and we'll see if we can get you on the show. Thanks for listening.